Today is Tuesday, March 2nd, 2010, and this is Make It So. Welcome to Make It So. This is episode 7, and today we are going to take a look at the entries for challenge number 4 and give you our first impressions. With me, as always, is Mr. Neil Timmons. Well, I really enjoyed the episodes that were chosen, all three of them, in a strange twist of luck or fate or what have you, two of the teams chose the same episode, which is hilarious. Yeah, and not not only did two teams choose the same episode, it's the two teams that are directly competing with each other. So that should make it pretty interesting for the judges. And they even chose one of my favorite episodes ever. So I had a difficult time reading through all 12 of those cards trying to choose which cards were best because... I, I really enjoyed the concepts and, and, and the, the temporal nonsense that was going on on both sides of that coin. This challenge is definitely going to be very interesting as the judges take their stand. All right, just to mix things up today, we are going to talk about the Klingon teams and the Romulan teams' entries first, since we were discussing them. They both picked Cause and Effect, which is the episode where the Enterprise is caught in a temporal causality loop and keeps repeating the same events over and over again. Which was a fantastic episode, and I enjoyed every bit of it. Yeah, it was on my short list of episodes, and I'm not surprised that at least one of the teams did it. I am surprised that two teams did it. Let's talk about the Klingon team. The Klingon team was shorthanded for this challenge. They have three members left, Lincoln, Ikea, and Devoris. And they put together a pretty interesting cycle of cards. The first Klingon card was their Dilemma, Temporal Disorientation. I thought it was a little bit redundant. I like that it was a three-stage dilemma, where it starts up being kind of a weak dilemma, where it's cost four, but it only stops one person. And then by the time you get later in the game, it's cost two and stops two personnel. This dilemma doesn't seem like it's going to go into a deck unless it's already heavy in temporal events, so the first part of the dilemma that reduces its cost by two seems to be a little bit redundant. You would never put this dilemma in a dilemma pile that was paired with a deck that didn't have temporal events in it. You would never splash this in just a random dilemma pile. If I don't know that I'm going to have a temporal event out, why would I run it? Because it's going to be a complete waste of time and be better off running pinned down. If you're just going to have it in a dilemma pile, then you're going to have at least some temporal events. And if you're going to have at least some temporal events, then chances are by the time your opponent's facing dilemmas, you've got three in play. But other than that, I thought the dilemma is designed very well. Yeah, I really liked it. I just think the first line was unnecessary. It's nice to see that the dilemma is not overpowered. It's very comfortable. All right, well, the Klingons also made two events and one interrupt. The first event is Cause and Effect. I really liked this card. I think it's a just a standard cycling card that doesn't seem to be overpriced, uh, doesn't give you an immediate benefit right away, but it'll pay off in the long run. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I know what they're trying to do with the two options on there, but I, I just don't think it meshes as well as, as I would like, because they're they're really conflicting. Why would I discard a card to recycle a card, and also want to remove those from the game. You would think I'd want to do one of those or the other. 
Yeah, you clearly want to remove a card from the game so that you can draw a card, so that you can get extra card draw. It's letting me recur my temporal cards, but then it also gives me the option of removing them from the game to draw a card. It's just, they, they don't mesh. They're not opposites, they're sort of contradictory. But, I, I, I really like this card. I think it's, I think it's a, a good cycling mechanism. Well, their other event is Temporal Causality Loop. Now, this one, I do not like this card. I picked out a couple of broken cards out of the entire set, uh, the the whole challenge, and this is one of them. Yeah, I just think that this whole, I can go over and I don't care what it is, I can muck it, and all I really do is lose a ship with some people on it. I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that if I go over and micro-team it, you're not going to throw any dilemmas, so you don't get the opportunity to do that, but I can put together a deck that can easily staff two ships with two mission-solving crews, and then go over and attempt get some dilemma I don't like, like tragic turn, bounce the ship to this event, and then fly the other one over, and now there's two dilemmas under there. There's three dilemmas under there, and you didn't get anything out of it. This, I mean, it eliminates skeleton crew, it eliminates timescape, it eliminates all of these meta-control dilemmas that you don't want to eliminate. Well, not only does it ruin a lot of those meta cards, like, like Skeleton Crew and, and Timescape, but this completely ruins all consume cards. It would be different if your ship was trapped there for an extra turn. Like, instead of returning at the beginning of your mission, it returned at the end of your mission. Even that, I think, would be a little bit too powerful. I think this, this card is way above the power curve, especially for only cost three. Right, there, there's absolutely no downside to this. The only other card that we have in the game that does that is Artifact which artifacts are generally more difficult to play with. So to take an artifact ability, make it more powerful, put it on a small cost three event that can't be destroyed while it's in use, I think is, is, is incredibly far above the power curve. I thought the interrupt was also a little bit above the power curve. If androids were all expensive, it would be one thing, but there's some androids that are really, really cheap so that you can just splash your deck with androids just to get the ability of this interrupt. I know the Android thing is on there to reflect the story, and it doesn't really seem to fit. The fact that this is an order isn't really going to help you avoid what I think they're trying to avoid, which is all the dilemma manipulation. The fact that I have to do this on my turn, and then you get your chance to go manipulate my dilemma pile all back the way you want it before you go attempt your mission doesn't really help me at all. If you've been tampering with time for three turns, yeah, I can mess that up, but you can still tamper with time before you go attempt, so you can still do some manipulation. It's doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. I just don't see myself ever being able to play with it. I agree. All right, well, next we have their Morgan Bateson, and, you know, five points for the Cheers reference. I like that. Anything that just pulls cards back from the discard pile is inherently powerful. The, the card does seem to have a whole bunch of icons down the side of it. Other than that, given a good picture and a good piece of lore, I think this card would be very cool. I'm not sure it's a cost four with what they've got on it. I have no problem with this card. I think this is an, a nice representation of the character. The whole Earth icon thing is probably going to be contentious amongst the community. The line in the sand, quote-unquote, for the Earth icon is somewhere between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan, which is when these cards are from. So whether you put it on there or not, I think you can make an argument successfully that it should be there or it shouldn't. Sure. But of course, this card is supposed to be used in conjunction with the ship, which I actually really like the ship uh, after watching the episode. Speaking of the ship, yeah, they have the Bozeman as their last entry. 
I don't have a problem with this. I have a problem with the way they worded it. That should be a win or a wild. I don't think the AI is going to be very forgiving on that. I, I'm afraid that's going to really hurt them on an otherwise nice card. The biggest problem I have with this ship is that it's very storyline-esque, and it fits with with this cycle of cards, but I fear that this ship would just straight up end up being a cadet's ship that'll shuffle guys back and forth from uh, the cadet mission, and that's all it'll do, and it won't be used thematically. It'll, it'll, just, be, it'll just be punished. On the other side of this battle, we have the Romulan team. As we said, they also did cause and effect. At this point, they have four team members left. They have Danny, DJ Stormtrooper 42, Hostrone, and Gooey Chewy. And let's take a look at their submission, starting with their dilemma, Deja Vu. This dilemma felt just like Ace in the Hole, or excuse me, the all-consuming evil. And I'm not sure if I like it. It seems a little bit like a copy. It's like they couldn't come up with a good idea for a dilemma, so they copied an existing dilemma in the game. Other than that, it's not a bad dilemma. Well, i got to tell you that stealing from yourself is a time-honored designer tradition, and some of the best cards that have ever been produced are redos of existing cards, or an existing piece of game text that you twist around and, and make it to do something different or in a different way. It, it is all-consuming evil in space. Essentially, it's not exactly the same game text, but that is what this card is trying to do. I think it works because they chose an excellent story for that piece of game text. That is true, they did. I mean, you have this sense that things are going over and over again. It's true because every time this comes up, you're having to return somebody to your hand that you've already played. And it's like, ah, it's very well done in terms of fitting game text with the story. So... I don't know if the judges are going to knock them for, for, for stealing from all-consuming evil, but I think it, it, it dovetails really well, and I think it's it's sufficiently different to be cool. All right, well, they did an equipment, unlike the other teams, so they have a Decaion field emitter. I see a lot of problems with this card. Uh, I don't like that it's an equipment, because it's not an equipment. I mean, it was a piece of equipment, but this is an event. Because there's once I play this, there's absolutely no reason for me to ever take it anywhere to do anything with it, to risk it. So it just sits in my home world, and I can save one of my events. To be honest, there's a reason it's hard to recur events in this game, because events are powerful. I mean, look at at what cost, plus this card, right? I I have ten bonus points, so I played, I've had played a decky on field emitter earlier in the game. I can play it at what cost. I can remove this equipment from the game to place it in my hand and then play it again. So now I can spend 21 counters off a single outlet cost that's now still in my discard pile. Right. Or far-seeing eyes or any number of cards that we don't want it to be easy to do over and over again just got a heck of a lot easier to do over and over again. It's kind of dangerous ground to be on. You know, if it, if it had done something like when your opponent destroys your event, you can save it this way. I, I could have been a lot more cool with it because then it's, you know, all right, you counter, you canceled my at what cost, I can save it. The fact that any time one of my events is about to discard, I can save it, it is kind of dangerous to me. I mean, I mean, that's a Deep Space Nine thing. They save events. It's very rare to see that outside of them. This is a universal equipment that anybody can play that once I've played, it sits at my headquarters and I never have to risk it. it it's just, it's a, it's a poor execution of a dangerous concept. I like the idea that they're going for. It's it's 
dangerously executed. Well, let's look down to their next card there, uh, Morgan Baston, stuck in a rut. This one is interesting. I think his cost is, is pretty dead on. He might be on the low side, but, but probably not by much. These guys chose not to put the Earth icon on these cards. Uh, again, you can, you can make an argument that that's the right thing to do. So I have no issues with that. You can play them aboard your Bozeman, which, which makes a little bit of sense because they, they've, as we'll talk about, they've allowed the Bozeman to come into other decks other than a TOS deck. So that makes sense for him. Uh, when an opponent plays a Temple event, you bounce him. I, I think they're trying to go for like a, a Rachel Garrett, Tully and Soren, Ezri Teagan type of feel here, where you get a really good personnel for a really low price that has a drawback to him. But he, he's not spectacular in terms of skills and attributes. I don't have anything bad to say about it. And, and granted, this guy was in the show for, what, 30 seconds? So it's hard right. to get upset that he's not, you know, a superstar. But it's just kind of, it, it fits well with their ship. It plays with temporal events, which you would expect. So it does capture the story. I just I just feel they could have done more with the, the drawback discount type of feel where the penalty's a little harsher but he's a better personnel for it. Well, let's look at their ship, because their ship also screams cadet ship to me. As much as we'd like to see the cycle used together, or at least in the same deck, the USS Bozeman, at a three cost, I, I would just use it to shuttle cadets back and forth from practice orbital maneuvers, not ever bother with, with the commander, because he has a little bit of a drawback. This ship sort of enables your opponent to screw over your captain? which is kind of wonky. You know, you play this ship, everybody can go download a temporal card. Now my opponent has the card in hand to bounce my Morgan Bateson. So it's sort of a, a another counterintuitive thing there. You know, it, it does derive from the story, but it doesn't gel well together. Giving the ship the ability to bounce its captain kind of doesn't make sense. One interesting thematic note is that this ability is a very TNG ability, even though it's not a TNG ship. It does have the ability to come into play for TNG decks, so I, I sort of understand that, but I think this would have been an interesting place to do a, you may play this ship at cost plus X to make each player download a temporal card and give it the TNG play and ability, you know? I think it's a, it, there should be some sort of fusion there between TOS and TNG. Instead, it's it's very much a TNG card that you can happen to play in a TOS deck and you actually have to work a little bit harder to get it into your TNG deck. Not, not significantly harder, but does that right. make sense? Yeah. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because it does it does feel very uh, TNG-ish, and it doesn't feel very TOS-ish, even though it has the TOS icon printed on the card. Again, I, I don't think it's a significant misstep. I, I really do like this pair overall. I, ju I just think that that's sort of a missed opportunity. Right. The captain and the ship here seem to be their... They're shining cards out of this set here. Let's look down to the temporal causality loop, their dilemma. What do you think of that dilemma? It's kind of over overdone a bit. I like it. I really like parts of it. I have questions about other parts of it. You know, in my mind, if, you, if you'd left off the pulling dilemmas back or the, or the consuming and it just made it, you know, pull a dilemma back, pull this back, flip the dilemma pile, or even just play this, flip your dilemma pile, and then it returns to the dilemma pile, that would have been interesting because... It's on the bottom, but whatever you've already brought back is now on the top. So it would have been, you know, a choice. It would have been strategic. I think right. there was a lot of potential in what they're messing with. I think it's a double instead of a, a home run. 
Well, what did you think of their highly localized dis distortion? I personally think this card is way above the power curve. Why do you think that? I think it shoots a lot of strategies down very, very quickly. It's not any different than any of the other quote-unquote magic bullets that are in second edition. We have standard orbit. We have a few minor difficulties. We have all these other cards out there that are designed to do very similar things that nobody uses. There's a lot of people on the on the boards who feel that events are stupid because they're too easy to destroy. Why is this any better or worse than any of those? Because if you have any sort of event protection, it can completely shut a deck down. What I, I like and scares me is that this can be used defensively. I can play this on my missions. If I build a deck that doesn't really rely on my people using their abilities, right. I can play this on my missions so that you can't come over and mess with me. I think it's really more of an offensive card. I, I don't, again, I need to read through their forums to see if they considered it being used defensively, but if I build my deck without really caring about my abilities, I can play this on my own mission to protect me from anything that you want to do. All in all, I thought the Romulan entries were pretty good. I think they're a little bit weaker than the Klingon entries, but that, of course, is my personal opinion. See, see, I, I'm, I'm torn on this one. I, I like elements of the Romulan cards better than elements of the Klingon cards. It, it's interesting, and, and I want to kind of touch on this a little bit. Both of these teams obviously picked the same episode. They created cards that helped Federation factions. And, and this also is going to apply when we, when we talk about the Cardassian team after the break. But three of the four teams, that means, have created cards that help the Feds. And, and as you pointed out, they really don't help Feds that need help. So, I mean, both of these ships could easily go into Cadet deck to blow that deck's power level up a little bit. Helping TNG is, you know, is especially questionable. Do you think that uh, the judges or the public are going to be hard on them because they picked Federation as as affiliations to help? I hope so, because it really doesn't look like the Federation needs too much help. They're, they already have a lot of very good people on a lot of really easy missions, which is, which is how you get the job done out in space, is you do easy missions with really good people. And to make their missions even easier or to make their ships even cheaper is just curving their power level up higher. But unfortunately, I think that also cancels out in this instance because they, they both get props for and against choosing Federation. To function aboard a starship, or in any human activity, you must learn to form relationships. Oh, it's so hard. And of more immediate importance is your ability to work within groups. I'm not good in groups. It's difficult to work in a group when you're omnipotent. Okay, talking about the Bajoran team, we, we have the only team that didn't make Federation cards. Uh, the Bajorans have four members still playing as of this challenge. They have De Lacoste, Karen of Borg 13, the ECH, and Foreman. Now, I am a, a fan of peak performance. I really like this episode. And I, I am disappointed that we don't have a Hathaway and a, and a uh, Riker that captains the Hathaway. But I, I admire the attempt to avoid creating Federation cards. Uh, they identified that the Federation was powerful, especially TNG, and chose to take an episode and present it from the other side, at least in terms of personnel and ships. I actually thought their decision was fantastic, because especially since they explained their decision, they said that they picked this episode and decided it was an epic episode, which I agree with them, it was an epic episode. And they wanted to take the episode from the other direction. Their first card is their ship, the Krichta. Krichta, I think. It is your Decora class marauder. They made it a cost of seven. I, I thought this ship is absolutely excellent. It feels just like the Dominion Battlecruiser, where it can grow to a limit of plus three, 
and it can get its stats up to pretty high. Well, to go along with the ship, they made two personnel, uh, Brakdor, who is the commander of the ship, and Falar, who is the, the little minion next to him. I, I see their personnel, and I see they're both very expensive. I know they explain their their cost because they're supposed to be called the arms personnel so that you can score additional points while while doing a battle with Ferngini, which is fine. I think Braktor, the leader, is very well balanced. I, I think his ability is simple and it's easy. It's not all that difficult. He's got the right skills to, to do an engagement. He's got the command star to fly the ship. I think Falar is a, a little bit overcosted for his ability. I think they're both overcosted. I understand the desire to make them four-cost personnel, but go right now and look how many four-cost personnel have these low of attributes and four skill dots. You, you will not find very many. That they're sure. underskilled, they're underattributed, and their abilities are not good enough to justify that difference in cost. I mean, look at look at Maximilian Forrest. He costs four. Has what eight skills and a way better ability than this? I suppose you're right. I've noticed a trend with the Bajorans, and they seem to have these this impression that abilities that let you draw tons of cards after your play and draw segment are are good, and and I can't really understand that. They make the note about latinum storage, and they say, and I'm I'm going to quote. Latinum storage means it's okay to draw cards into hand beyond seven during the execute order segment of your turn. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, it it allows you to, but Ferengi have to jump through all these hoops to get stuff, and the Ferengi are already going to have to jump through a bunch of hoops to battle, right? They're building a Ferengi battle deck. Cool. But now I can't just build a battle deck because now I've got to put in three times Latinum storage and a bunch of other rules just to use the Latinum storage that all have to be in play before I fight, to get the best use out of this guy. Well, my, 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 big, my biggest problem is that it's it's the same problem that all the Ferengi other cards have, is that they have to do in four steps what, what every other affiliation can do in two. And I know that's part of the Ferengi theme, but it, it's just, I shouldn't need to have Latinum storage and four events in play to get the most benefit out of this guy. They could have given him a different ability, they could have given him some other sort of carrot for winning battles, other than than just drawing extra cards in the hand that really you're only going to get the maximum benefit out of if I've already jumped through a ton of hoops to get battle cards out, to get latinum storage, and to get rules out. G given all of that, let's take a look at their, their battle card, Brazen Attack. So this isn't bad. I, I see the limitations to the card are a, a little bit frustrating. There's not a lot of Ferengi leadership personnel, naturally. I understand that, that it's supposed to work with uh, Captain Braktor. However, if you can't find him for one reason or another, there's not a lot of other guys that can step in place. And other than the, other than scoring points, which the Ferengi can do very quickly and easily, this event doesn't really do a lot for you. It, it is a nice way to score points. Why is that render assistance on it? I mean, is it just being slaves to the story again, the fact that, that it was the Enterprise and the Hathaway versus the Ferengi? I'm all about capturing the story, but you have to choose to make a, a decision that makes the game better instead of being a slave to the story. You know, and the Hathaway was a beaten down old ship that didn't even do any fighting, which is what makes it worse. I mean, if they're really trying to be a slave to the story, Hathaway didn't fight the Ferengi. The Enterprise blew the Hathaway up. They, they blew it up to scare the Ferengi off. They didn't join up and, and take them down. 
why is that on there? It makes no sense. Is it to lower the cost? I mean, this isn't any worse than Ba. It's actually worse than Ba, and Ba costs two. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Why is that on there? There's good stuff to say about this card. It has nice synergy with Raktor and, and the Tactician, because, you know, I can go download two rolls and then pitch one to get ten points. Or right. if I don't have him in play, I can draw seven cards and hope I get a rule and then ditch one to get ten points. You know? Right. And, and and this is, it's it's a halfway decent battle card that other than that, I probably would have been giving it a ten out of ten in my comments. But it's like these little things just, just creep into these cards and ruin them for me. So to go along with the, the battle card and the ship and the two personnel, they right. made a pair of dilemmas. Ferengi Ambush and Sensor Rude. I kind of like Ferengi Ambush. It's definitely an interesting damage card because it has some requirements that that aren't skills or attributes. Yeah, it's interesting. It has the nice side effect of incentivizing uh, an interaction strategy because if I'm playing against just like a, a plain old mission solver, they've got a they they won't have a maneuver card to discard. Whereas if I'm playing a battle card, they're sort of going to auto pass this. There's a subtlety on here that I like, which is that on a normal damage dilemma, you put it on the ship that's facing it just automatically. This one says your opponent puts it on one of your ships this mission. So if you if you happen to be doubling up mission attempt, you know, you've got two ships there, I can put this on the other ship. Or I can put this on the fully staffed ship that you're going to fly home that now all of a sudden doesn't have enough range or whatever. That is a good example of capturing the story because... You know, the Frankie can shoot the Enterprise, or they can shoot the Hathaway. So the other one is Sensoroos, which is another card that's discarding ships from hand. This one's pretty clever. I'm really, really not a fan of the hoarding ships dilemma pile. You know, Tactical Disadvantage and Gorgon. And this feeds right into that, so that's that's sort of a demerit in my mind. But this one's going to be easier to get by, because there's a lot of cunning eight people in the game. And there's a lot of ways to, to boost up your cunning a bit. There's a lot of cunning sevens, too. So the six-cost ships aren't really going to help you. You're going to need a seven-cost ship uh, to make it harder for me to beat this. It's interesting. I like it. I think it's probably one of their better cards, actually. I like how they cost it lower than some of the other damage cards. It still stops everybody, but it only costs two instead of three. You can afford to toss a couple of filters in front of it, so maybe you could filter out their big high-cost guy, or maybe throw a, a targeted filter like a like a caretaker's guess or a secret identity or something to pull out the one high cost, high cunning personnel they have or take a look at their personnel to see how big of a ship you have to throw. E even if it's a little bit easier, I, I think it's costed well. And it's definitely an, an interesting mechanic that we don't have in the game. I just personally don't want to see any more cards that help that I'm going to hold four ships in my hand and stop you 800 times in a space mission. There's nothing you're going to do about it type of of dilemma. So that's the only real knock I have against it is that it's it's playing right into the hands of a dilemma pile that I hate. Okay, we have the Cardassian teams entries is the the last of the entries we're going to look at today. They did the Voyager episode Timeless, which was the episode where Harry Kim and Chakotay and his girlfriend in the future are trying to save Voyager from crashing into an ice planet. I, I think it was the the hundredth episode of Voyager, which was why it was kind of like a big deal. The Cardassians have three teammates. There are Piers, Wayoon's Last Clone, and Grand Nagus Morn. Interestingly enough, they're the only ones that did not pick a Next Generation episode for their entries. So let's take a look at what they did. Their first entry is a dilemma. It's a five-cost space dilemma. When I first read this dilemma, 
I was kind of excited about it, but the more that I read it, the more that I think that it's absolutely overcosted. I've only seen one or two dilemmas that are like this, all old. They're all from, like, Energize. Here's a set of requirements, and then something happens, and then here's another set of requirements, and something else happens. And that's that's sort of wonky. If your opponent's playing with pursuit cards, you can finger the person who's going to be who's going to be killed. If you have three or four pursuit cards in play, you can randomly select three or four personnel, and then you get to pick the best one out of out of the group. So that's a little bit better than random selection. You're already jumping through hoops with that first line of game text. It's right. not just something straightforward. And then here's some more hoops to jump. It, it is definitely a, a dilemma that's difficult to deal with because there's a lot of words going on. Yeah, it's a lot of words. It's a lot of actions. And really, it what what's it doing? I mean, it's a five-cost dilemma that Kills one and may stop everybody? That just seems let's, really high to me. Let's look over down at Harry Kim, uh, the guardian angel. He's interesting. I definitely think they kind of nailed it on the, the skills and, and attributes here. Icons are good. You know, staff icon, voyager icon, and a future icon. I mean, the voyager icon is somewhat actually iffy. You know, voyager's buried under ice. I, I like the cycle and how they're trying to work with the top of the deck and the bottom of the deck and discarding uh, cards to to shuffle and to put things in different places so you can access them later. But I think the overall effect way, way too powerful for the game. His power in a vacuum is not overpowered, but I think his power in relation to the other cards in this cycle is too powerful. Well, speaking of the other cards, there's, there's Tessa, who I'm surprised they did her and not Chakotay. I think I read them saying they felt that it would be impossible to make a Chakotay that would, you would want to use over the other ones that wasn't ridiculously overpowered. And, and I can appreciate that. That so, is a legitimate point. So, yeah. so they made Tessa. Four skills, standard attributes, staffing Voyager, um, future icon. And, and if the Voyager icon doesn't really make sense on Harry, it really doesn't make sense on her. I think these guys might be, should be Earth icon. Right, so it's kind of an expensive guy. Or excuse me. It's a difficult-to-use guidance. I mean, I had to read this card three times to figure out what was going on. And I, I'm not stupid. I'm certainly not the best player at this game, and I'm certainly not a particularly smart guy. But if I'm reading cards two or three times just to sort of understand what's going on, that worries me. I mean, I have no problem with the, the choice of character and the skills and the attributes. I've already talked about the Voyager icon, but this ability, I'm just, what is going on with this ability? Is it trying to well, give you bonus it's points? Suppo it's supposed to tie in with Harry Kim. So Harry Kim can load the bottom of your deck, and then you go off and attempt a mission and try to get her randomly selected so that you can reveal the bottom card of your deck and score your point. I think this is a good example of a problem that this team in particular has had throughout this competition, which is using five words when two will do. Uh, I think there's sure. there's just tons of stuff going on here when all they really wanted to do was make a card that gave bonus points out. There's ten lines of stuff on here to do something simple. Well, let's start talking about the Tekarian Inversion, which in my mind is the most broken card of this entire series, or this entire challenge of all 14. Yeah. I mean, it's a four-cost event. That That's big and pricey. You have to have three future Federation people, is really only going to fit into a couple of deck types. Um, the, the, the most likely one is going to be if you're using uh, Voyager Future Holograms. Really, the only oh. ones are going to use it. So Voyager, Equinox, or Maquis. So this shoots so many Dilemma Strategies just right in the face. So if I pull this off once, I can get rid of 
either all of your tragic turns, all of your horn ones gone before, all of your gumtree shockwaves, all of your tactical disadvantages. One of those four. Here's my problem with this: is if you look at oh nothing happened or gem or those type of cards, they're taking out single copies of dilemmas and removing them from the game. The only card that grabs all copies of a dilemma is is crim the Bajoran General Krim, but those only go under your completed mission. So you have to have solved the mission first, and then if you have retrieval, you can get them back. This is almost a virtually guaranteed hit because you've got, you know, Harry Kim. Hell, you've got Optimism. You can put any card you want on the bottom of your deck with Optimism. Guarantee oh. a Voyager card. And that's assuming that you don't just build your deck with all Voyager cards so that you have a very, very slim chance of it missing if you catch... Uh, another inversion. Yeah, absolutely. It it's just too powerful. I sound like I'm I'm being really harsh on the on these entries, and I I don't mean to. There are definitely good things I like here, but did they look at the existing cards and really think this was in line? There's virtually no risk to using this now. If it said shuffle your deck and reveal the bottom card, if it's a Voyager card, name a dilemma or remove a copy from the of that dilemma from the game. Perfect. Would have been great. The fact that it's just flat out reveal the bottom card and I can rig it. Not only with Harry Kim, but with any number of other cards that exist. What did you think about Jordy and his uh, matching ship? You know, I think it's interesting that they did this. And they're not the only team that did this, but they took one episode and, and put two different points of view in the same set of cards. So I'm not, I'm not sure if they're going to lose points on that. Okay, I, I see now why they didn't make Harry and Tessa Earth icons, because, because they made Jordy and his ship. Earth icons, and they they wanted them to be different, but there are some story problems there that I I'm not I'm not a fan of. But looking at Jordy, his attributes and skills are fine. He's the captain of the ship. His ability is okay. You know they're they're trying yeah. to put they're trying to put together a pursuit deck. You know I think this would have been a, a good card for last challenge. You know bo- boosting right. a, boosting a keyword, and it, it sort of makes sense with the storyline here. So I really can't judge him on that. But it it only works when three people are being stopped. My dilemma that requires a skill. It's like they're taking little bits and pieces of the lessons that we've we've tried to teach them and, and putting them on a card. So so that's good. I'm not a hundred percent sure if this would ever be used. Federation well, plus pursuit doesn't really strike me as as something that's going to ever happen very much. The cards know? that come to mind are the issue of trust and personal duty, because those have the ability to stop three or more personnel, uh, and they do require a skill. Right, I mean, you could use it with Gom too, and 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 any of the damage dilemmas, really. But it's sort of flat to me. I, I I like it. It's a good representation of the story, and I really can't give any bad comments on it. I, I'm inclined to think the judges will be cool with it. I guess I guess what's hanging me up is the three or more personnel. That does stop the specific targeting, like when you run into warp bubble mishap or something, where they have to stop a specific personnel with a specific skill, and then you can make that personnel go away. So I definitely see what they're trying to do with Jordy and the Challenger, and that they're dovetailed together. You get to put their one of their better guys on the bottom of the deck, and then remove them from the game and download your own guy. I think that's interesting. Um, the ship I like. It's a Galaxy class ship. It's the appropriate staffing, the appropriate cost, the appropriate attributes. But again, it's got this when three or more personnel are being stopped by a dilemma, and unlike Jordy. It, it doesn't have a cost associated with it. I can use them together for maximum benefit. I can use them separately and get some benefit out of it. It's too many words for what it's trying to pull off. This two set of cards, Jordy and his ship, I actually really like them together. 
because when we go back to the previous side of the this challenge, I, I was talking about the two ships that cost three, and I wasn't interested in the game text, I wasn't interested in the name of the ship, I wasn't interested in the theme. All I could see in those two ships was a cheap, cheap ship that I could use to ferry Federation personnel to and from practice orbital maneuvers or some facsimile thereof. This ship, however, screams to be used with its commander so that you can get its full benefit. It's not really cheap, it's not under-costed, it seems to fit really well together. And I know I mentioned this earlier, I just really think that the problem that the Cardassians have had, and not just the Cardassians, a lot of the teams have been having this problem, they're putting five words on a card when they could use three, or they're putting three lines on a card when they could use one. and you have to ask yourself when you're when you're making these cards, is, is what I'm trying to do necessary? I have the feeling that it says three or more people because Jordy was trying to stop Harry, Chakotay, and Tessa. I have a feeling that that's why it says three or more people. You're trying to capture the story, but you could do the same thing by just saying when your personnel is about to be stopped. It, it doesn't need to be the three or more on there, and that actually makes this card more complicated and harder to, to use. You're putting the perfect story on there, but making the card more niche and harder to use and making it more complicated and more difficult to understand. I hope that all of the players that make it into Phase 2 take it to heart. You really need to make sure that the words you're putting on the card need to be on the card. And it's a judgment call. You know, If you really feel that this mechanic will only work when three or more people are being stopped, then, then so be it. If that doesn't need to be on there, if you can make it more elegant, if you can shorten it and get it to work the same way, mechanically, what you're trying to do, you need, you need to, to really have a good argument that it needs to be more complicated to make it more complicated. All right, Neil. You have to make a call here. Who wins these battles? Oh, golly gee. In, in the Cardassians versus the Bajorans, this is just like last week. If we were comparing five against five, it would be a toss-up. I, I might go 5% towards the Cardassians, but this isn't a five versus five challenge. This is a six versus six challenge, and the inversion bothers me so much that I have to give it to the Bajorans. And the Klingons versus the Romulans? And the Klingons versus the Romulans... I think with the Klingons and the Romulans, it, it really comes down to the same thing as the Bajorans and the Cardassians, where if this was a five-on-five -five challenge, I, I liked a lot of the Klingon cards. When when we look at the, the temporal causality loop and remember that this is a six-card versus six-card challenge, I think that card just brings the, the Klingons underneath the Romulans, and I have picked the Romulans. We will turn this over to the public and the judges. We will see if they agree with you, Neil. Uh, I definitely think... It's going to be interesting for everybody judging the Klingon-Romulan battle with so many identical concepts that being drawn from the same episode. That is definitely a fun challenge to see them both battling out in the same episode with basically the same types of ideas. All right, public, we need your votes. You can vote online at our website, www.trekcc.org. Look for the Challenge 4 Vote Now article. Log your votes, make your comments, pick the best and worst cards from each team. 
Judges will be deliberating, and voting will close Friday, March 5th at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is Greenwich Mean Time minus 5. Get your votes in. This is the last challenge of Phase 1. After this challenge, the teams will merge, and we'll be doing things a little bit differently moving forward. We look forward to your votes, and we'll be back next week to talk about the results. I'm Charlie Plain. And I'm Neil Timmons. And in the immortal words of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, make it so. So podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. For more information, visit www.creativecommons.org. Some of the music in today's podcast is brought to you Podsafe Free from Mevio's Music Alley. For more information, visit www.musicalley.com. Make it so. The search for the next assistant game designer is brought to you by the Continuing Committee, home of the first and second edition Star Trek CCG. For more information please visit www.trekcc.org, www.trekcc.org. Thank you.